It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Welcome into another Pipeline Podcast. Tim McMaster here along with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, who's back from his trip to Israel. Jim also back, but his trip was just from outside Washington, D.C., so not, not nearly as exciting. But we missed you on the podcast last week, Jonathan. Good to have you back. I did a solo podcast just to myself in, uh, in Tel Aviv. So. All right, very good. Good to know. That, that's sitting out there somewhere on, on your phone or something. We'll try to get right. some, some tape. All right, well, let's start right there because this is a pretty cool trip. I know you went over there with the, the Israeli World Baseball Classic team, which is obviously mostly made up of, of American-born guys who are, who are obviously Jewish and who are representing Israel in the World Baseball Classic. Um, you were over there with them. How did, all, how did it all come about, and, and what was it like? Oh, it's a it's a long saga that we don't really have uh, have time for here how it came came about but this is a, a concept that I I had a few years ago wasn't even necessarily world baseball classic related just in taking Jewish baseball players to to Israel based on conversations I've had over the years with guys uh, who have always embraced being known as you know Jewish ball players but didn't really go much beyond that then when when they qualified uh, it kind of came together. Uh, I'll give a shout out to Jeff Ader, who uh, started the Jewish Baseball Museum. There's a guy in Chicago who who loves Jews and baseball in Israel, and helped get put this trip together, and was able to tag along and uh, went with uh, my friend Jeremy Newberger from Ironbound Films, and we're going to make a, a documentary film uh, about the the whole experience. And really, from start to finish, it, it was truly a, a remarkable uh, experience for everybody. And it was really packed, right? I mean, you were there for, I guess, what, five, six days, but there was no downtime, really. You saw a lot of the area. No, they crammed a lot in in a short amount of time. You know, typically, like, in a perfect world, the trip would be nine or ten days. You know, it's not that big of a country, but there's a lot to see, a uh, ton of history. Um, you know, and then if you want to learn anything about what's going on in modern time, you know, the amount of speakers you could have was really endless. So they tried to cram a lot in, and they managed to, to do a lot, and, and the players really took it all in. And I think, you know, to me, the main objectives uh, of the trip were kind of to introduce the country to these players and maybe help grow the game of baseball, and, and then also introduce the players to the country. All the three of them had never been there before and certainly never had been in any setting like this. And and I think it was a, a resounding su- success on, on all fronts uh, in that regard. I think when they when they go to Korea in March, there will be a much sort of deeper connection to, to the country they'll wear across their chest. One of the guys who was al- along with you was Cody Decker, um, obviously Major League player, and you got a chance to talk to him um, a little bit. I know you talked to all these guys, but you got this one on tape. So let's give a listen to a little bit of – Cody Decker's thoughts on the trip to Israel. You know, obviously, you, when you come uh, on, a, on a VIP tour, you, you get to stay in nice hotels. You get to like, you know, you get you get to have fun uh, while 
understanding, as you guys have said along, uh, how important it is for all of you to be representing Team Israel uh, on this trip. Um, not the kind of news you want when you're here, but there was a, an attack and lives were lost. Can you put into words, you know, how you felt when you heard about it and what your action was, especially that we're, you're not seeing this on CNN or reading it you know, online from 9,000 miles away. We're here. Um, how, you know, how did, uh, how did that impact you? It impact, I was stunned at first, and how I was stunned was not exact. Hearing the news wasn't the thing that stunned me until it was more the getting a lot, getting the messages, are you okay, are you okay, please text, please message us back. And, you know, that kind of affected me personally a little more, to which, which this is not even remotely about me, I want to really make that clear, but it just made me really realize kind of really real make it made it more real and more close everyone here is if there's one thing I've learned here everyone here is exceedingly strong and resilient and it's not, nothing will break anyone's spirit here even a tragedy like this and it's and it is completely a tragedy and I, any amount of loss of human life is, is heartbreaking does it change how you feel about having Israel on your chest, either from a more pride or even, if, you know, fear for safety? I, I do not have any fear for safety at all. I really don't. I think, if anything, I have more pride. And it's, I'm very proud to be Jewish. I'm very proud to be representing this unbelievable country, this really beautiful country. And, and the, the best part about it is, I said it earlier, someone asked me why I'm not scared, and it's because it's not about me, and it's not about all the players. We're, we're playing for something so much more. And coming here and seeing it firsthand, we, it really feels like we're playing for so much more. Seeing those kids when we dedicated the field at that Shemesh, those kids' lives might be changed just because they're playing baseball, which is a game, and it's a stupid kid's game that has the ability to change lives and change your outlook on things and build bridges where there weren't any. This is so much bigger than any of us. And I, I hate that that, I, I don't want to sound like I'm equating it, you know, a terrorist attack to that, but you know, representing this country, especially at a time where the world is what it is at the moment, um, I'm, I'm nothing but proud. So that was Cody Decker talking about this trip to Israel and do his thoughts pretty much mirror what most of the players were feeling and, and thinking while over there? Yeah, I think so. And, uh, you know, it, it was sort of interesting. You, you never wish for something uh, like a terrorist attack to occur when you're on a on sort of a goodwill tour like that, but it is the reality of, of life there. And I would think to a man... Uh, they all reacted to that news, and we weren't anywhere near by when, when that attack happened in the southern part of Jerusalem. But uh, they, they all sort of felt a deeper connection with the people. Uh, they spoke uh, about the resilience of, of Israelis, you know, given, given the situation and, and the time that they live in, and how, you know, they think it's even more important, and they feel even more pride, as Cody said, uh, to, to represent to, to, represent Israel in international competition. 
Very cool stuff, and there's more information about the trip on uh, MLB.com. Jonathan, you wrote some stories. There's some video as well uh, beyond the, the clip with Cody Decker on there as well. So so more information to be had, and you mentioned the, the documentary eventually down the road. All right, so while Jonathan was in Israel, Jim was in Leesburg, Virginia, which is a shorter trip, and he was also hanging out with Prospects, uh, the Rookie Career Development Program outside of D.C. We kind of previewed it last week on the podcast, but, Jim, there's always a couple of players as you, you basically end up talking in a sit-down format with, with at least one player from each major league club, and the, there's always guys that stand out for their personality and, and thoughts that they have at the RCDP. Are there any RCDP All-Stars from the 2017 event? Yeah, there were a lot of All-Stars. I, I don't know if I, if, I, if I loved my interactions nearly as much as Jonathan loved his Malik Smith interaction from a year ago when he was at the rookie program and, and I was AWOL, but there were, there were a lot of good guys to talk to. Uh, Matt, Matt Chapman was, was very thoughtful, uh, very thoughtful answers when I was talking to him about just his career and the uh, and the program in general. I was really impressed with Matt Chapman. Had a, a long discussion with Adam Engel after we got done with the, the video interview about Louisville baseball and uh, you know how close they are to winning a national championship and how that program's really taken off. That was kind of a fun uh, discussion. I wound up, uh, Jonathan. You've had this happen where you you, you know we, we as Tim said we try to get one interview at least one interview with a player from every organization so we put them up on the team sites which i think will happen the next day or two and sometimes you you're setting these up getting guys to come by the little interview area and you get like a log jam and you wind up having four or five guys waiting and i wound up uh david venn who, who does our, our spanish language interviews had like three guys in a row so i wound up uh kind of killing time uh talking to alec mills before we did our interview alec mills with the royals that was an interesting uh discussion as well uh just a lot of fun guys you know davidas neveroskis from the pirates who's trying to become the first lithuanian born and raised big leaguer he was another good one uh you know i could go on and on you got you guys know i have a soft spot for josh Hader as a prospect of uh, the brewers uh, had a good time interviewing him, and, and actually, as I was getting dropped off at the rookie program, uh, Josh Hader and Brett Phillips were arriving in, in Josh Hader's red pickup truck, and I was trying to figure out how they were taking a pickup truck to this thing, and, and then Josh reminded me that he grew up in the Baltimore area, which wasn't too far away. So a lot of good time, a lot of good times talking to these guys, and, and there was at one point where we're, we were just kind of killing time while the players were in sessions, where David Venn and I and uh, Jason Ratliff, our fearless editor, we were just kind of shooting the breeze with Dave Winfield probably for 30 minutes, and that was fun. And I, I'd always been intrigued, uh, you know, fans who, who may or may not know the story. Dave Winfield's last pitching appearance, he was a two-way star in, in college, came in, in a classic College World Series game where Minnesota was up, I want to say, seven or eight to nothing going to the ninth inning. Winfield came out. The, the USC had scored a couple of runs. He'd struck out 14 or 15 in the game, and then USC proceeded to win the game after he uh, went out to left field. But uh, so I had a really good time talking to Dave Winfield. It's always a fun event, not uh, not too taxing uh, of a workload. Uh, gee, you know, we got to talk to some prospects, but you get to see a bunch of guys, and it's kind of a casual setting and uh, a good time. Yeah, and I'm putting the videos together, and I noticed Josh Hader's uh, hair is still in full effect. Um, and you mentioned Nevaraskis, um, and his story was was fascinating because uh, I know you asked him not about his journey necessarily from once he was within an organization to this point, but just being in Lithuania and being a child and somehow being able to get himself noticed and, and getting into the MLB program in Europe. And I guess his dad was a big part of that. That was a cool story. Yeah, no, 
know what? He was that was that was my question. Is like, okay, you know, how do you even you know get no like you said, Tim? How do you get noticed? How do you play? And you know, they don't have a lot of baseball over there. But his dad was enjoyed baseball and kind of got him playing it. And and I, I had not realized until I'd done that interview. They they essentially have travel teams. And he said it's comparable to what you have over here in America. Not as many, but they have travel teams. And you know, he threw hard and got invited to the European. Uh, training camp and got spotted there but uh it was a good i mean just talking to all the guys you know we i think we did maybe more spanish interviews spanish speaking interviews than ever before because it seemed like a lot of the top prospects in baseball which isn't a change but a lot of them were on hand you know guys you know like uh glaber torres was there ahmed rosario were there and then and Jonathan, we were trying to remember. I think we got 23 interviews done the first day, which which we believe to maybe be an unofficial record for most interviews knocked off on the Friday. So one of these years, we'll try to go 30 for 30 on the first day, and then yeah, just relax uh, the rest of the weekend. That's right. That's pretty impressive work. I, you know, I thought last year we had done pretty well, but uh, I don't know, Jim. Maybe you and I get in each other's way when we're both there. Uh, so well, you know one of us should go. It was it was really record. David Venn was the key because he did, he he writes for our, our Spanish site. Our Spanish language site, and because the Latin program starts on Thursday, he I think had pretty much set up with all the ten guys he was going to interview that we were going to do this. So I think David might have knocked off all ten of his guys on the Friday, so it made it a little bit easier. I really think Jonathan, if we have you and me there together for the first time in three years next year, and David, uh, we we might actually knock off all thirty on Friday, and then we can uh, I guess just watch football and drink heavily on Saturday. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I look for, yes, we'll leave it at that. So yeah, the final countdown. Yes, come on, guys. The final tally was uh, <laughs> uh, 10 Spanish-speaking uh, guys and 20 English as far as the videos go. And those will be up on MLB.com, MLBpipeline.com, uh, I believe tomorrow, Friday morning as we record this on Thursday. That's the goal at least. Uh, they're getting finished off as we record this. So those will be out there. Um, good stuff from uh, Leesburg, Virginia. All right, well, while... We were away between podcasts. A big day Wednesday as far as prospects getting traded. Uh, random day in January, but some trades went down. No surprise, Jerry DePoto in the middle of the hot stove trading, as always, as the Mariners make a couple of trades. But at the end of the day, they actually end up with Drew Smiley and no prospects, despite some guys changing hands. But the Braves and Rays each end up with a couple of prospects. So I wanted to break those guys down with you. Uh, maybe if you each take a guy per each team. Let's start with the Braves. Um, they gave up Malik Smith, obviously, and, and some young talent, but they get young talent in return. A couple of left-handed pitchers, Luis Gohara and Thomas Burrows. J- uh, Jonathan, I'll go back to you to start. Um, is there one of these guys that, that you're a little more locked in on than the other as far as Burrows and Gohara? Gohara, I think, the highly higher-rated yep. prospect. Yeah, absolutely, and we put him in at uh, 12 in their top 30, right behind Max Freed. And you know, the Braves just sort of continue to stockpile really young pitching uh, with tremendous upside. If it all works, they're going to have to have about a 12-man rotation uh, in Atlanta. But you know, you can never have too much pitching, I guess, is the old uh, the old axiom. And Gahara is is interesting. Uh, he's from Brazil, and he his career kind of moved in fits and bursts, uh, mostly struggling with conditioning issues uh, where he was kind of overweight. And this year he lost a bunch of weight and had a huge year, made it to full season ball, threw really well in the Midwest League, had a sub-2 ERA, uh, struck out more than a batter per inning. It was was only over 10 starts. Uh, And then, you know, I only saw him 
once, I think, in the Arizona Fall League. Uh, but he held his own you know, for a guy who was only 20 years old and hadn't pitched you know, barely above A ball. The stuff definitely plays. Uh, fastball, slider, especially. Uh, the the changeup has gotten better because uh, he was throwing it more. Uh, you know, more reps on the mound, being able to pitch a little deeper into games with better conditioning. Uh, he's repeating his mechanics a little bit better. If he can stay in shape, uh, you know, he has the chance to be uh, a really, really good starting pitcher when all is said and done. Uh, you know, 6-3 with good stuff. It's all going to be about, uh, about his, his conditioning and his ability to throw strikes. And the other lefty that the Braves get, Thomas Burrows. Jim, what do we know about him? Yeah, he was a fourth-round pick. He he was on the MLB Pipeline uh, draft top 200 in, in 2016. He's going to be a reliever all the way. Good arm. You know, he, he's not just a situational guy. He, he sits around 92, 94 miles an hour with a fastball, has a hard slider. Uh, he can get righties out as well as lefties. I, I don't think he's got closer upside, but I do think you, know, you could see him as, as a seventh or eighth inning guy. Uh, you know, I, I like that trade. I, I thought that – well, we'll continue discussing the trade, the, the trades as, as a pair. I, I liked what the Mariners did. I liked what the Braves did. I, I don't understand what the Rays necessarily did, except save money. But I thought the Braves did a nice job to get two lefties. You know, one guy who's got upside as maybe a number two or three starter, uh, as Jonathan was kind of alluding to. Not much to quibble with with Gohara on the mound. It's more about how serious he kind of takes, you know, his dedication to his craft, I guess would be the biggest concern. And they got a guy who could be a nice lefty reliever as well for Malik Smith, who can run. I'm not sure he does enough else well to be a big league regular. To me, he, he, he's more one of those speed guys who, who doesn't have a lot of impact with the bat. And Shea Simmons, who's an interesting reliever, um, but you know is coming off of Tommy John surgery. So I, I thought that was a really nice trade for the Braves. And, and then I liked what Seattle did, spinning, uh, you know, spinning forward with, with Malik's to uh, Malik Smith to Tampa Bay with a couple prospects to get Drew Smiley. All right, so let's talk about what the Rays got overall. Um, you mentioned that you're not sure exactly what was going on with that them in this trade, Jim. Uh, they get Ryan Yarbrough, a left-handed pitcher, Carlos Vargas, the shortstop, and Malik Smith, a young outfielder, although interesting on the timing of getting Malik Smith since they had just signed Colby Rasmus basically two days before. So suddenly the Rays have a lot of outfielders, a lot of corner outfielders, and Malik Smith can play center, obviously, but they have a guy named Kiermeyer in Tampa Bay. So certainly interesting, but they have a lot of outfielders. Uh, they get a little younger, um, and they deal away Drew Smiley, a position of strength as far as starting pitching goes. But how about Ryan Yarbrough? Um, Jonathan, I'll go back to you. Um, another left-handed pitcher um, with some upside. Yeah, I mean, you know, six foot five lefty. He was a, a senior out of Old Dominion, and they signed him for like, you know, he was one of those senior signs that, uh, on the surface, when he was taken in 2014, looked like one of those just to save money to be able to sign their other picks, and they signed him for forty thousand dollars. <laughs> but but then he started pitching really well uh, and continue to pitch well, does not miss a ton of bats. He had 99 strikeouts and 128 and two-thirds innings, but doesn't walk a lot of guys. He gets ground balls. Um, you know, he's more of a weak contact kind of guy. You know, fastball slider, uh, you know, fastball breaking ball, probably could be a reliever tomorrow, you know, if you wanted him to. Um, if the changeup continues to come a little bit, 
he needs to add a little strength and can maintain velocity, you know, then he can probably be, be a starter. Uh, you know, he made 25 starts last year. He was healthy. But sometimes with guys like that, because of the lack of strength, they, they can't maintain th- throughout a start. So, uh, you know, he's 20. He just turned 25. He'll be 25 for all, all next season. And they'll be, you know, reaching AAA, and, and maybe he, he can impact the, the big leagues in some capacity during the 2017 season. And then Vargas is kind of a different story. You have Yarbrough, who's getting close to the major leagues. Jim Vargas, 17 years old, uh, premium position. He's a shortstop, and and there's all that upside. But obviously, with a 17-year-old, there's a long way to go until he's going to be approaching the major leagues. And a lot can go wrong at that time, but. You can never have too many young, talented guys that, that play up the middle positions. Yeah, although he's probably going to wind up having to move to third base. I mean, Power's his ticket. He was on Jesse Sanchez's international top 30 for us in, in 2015. He signed for for $1.6 million. You know, just got his career started in the rookie-level Dominican Summer League last year. Did show some power. You know, as you mentioned, a long way to go from the big leagues. You know, he'll get a chance to stick it short, but probably outgrows the position and winds up at third base. And... Uh, you know, again, I, I just look at this trade, and I don't know. I, I'm curious, Jonathan, what you think of it. I mean, Drew Smiley, yes, the the the, the Rays had you know starting pitcher depth, but you can never have too many starters. And I suspect the Drew Smiley, the fact that he's arbitration eligible again and was already making you know 3.75 million and was going to make more, it was a factor. But I but I look at this trade and I see them get Malik Smith, who. He's not going to displace Kevin Kiermeyer unless they trade Kevin Kiermeyer, who might be the best defensive player in the big leagues. And if you're playing Malik Smith on the corner, he's not going to hit nearly enough. So I see him as more of a fourth or fifth outfielder for Tampa Bay. You get Ryan Yarbrough, whose upside is a, you know, realistically, you know, probably a back of the rotation guy. And right. we already said, you know, they're trading Smiley because they have rotation depth. And then they get Carlos Vargas, who's intriguing, but you know, is is you know at least five years away from the big league. Uh, I'm not impressed. I'm not impressed by the haul they got for Drew Smiley. I don't see how this makes the Rays. It certainly doesn't make them a better team in 2017. I don't really see how it makes them a better team going forward, other than saving them some money. And yes, you know, Drew Smiley, you know, was not Chris Sale. Uh, but I guess in the back of my mind, I'm almost wondering, you know, what would Rick Hahn have gotten for Drew Smiley had he been the one making the trade? I, I, I'm not impressed. Like I said before, I like what Atlanta did here. I like what Seattle did here. I don't like what Tampa Bay did here. Jonathan, what's your overall thoughts, I guess, on, on the three teams? And like Jim's kind of weighed in on, on his thoughts, but what? Uh, who's the winner? Who's the loser? Who's kind of in the middle there? Yeah, I mean, as much as, much as uh, uh, my fondness for Malik Smith has been well-documented, um, Mostly for his talking ability. Uh, although, I mean, I think he could be, you know, a guy who contributes to a big league team, and in the right situation, maybe he's a starting center fielder. Uh, obviously, with the speed, but um, I do like what the Braves did here, um, and I agree with Jim just in terms of what they had to give up to to get what they they got. Uh, you know, they've been stockpiling and stockpiling, and sometimes it's made a lot of sense. Sometimes it's, you know. You wonder if they were, you know, were just grabbing arms for the sake of grabbing arms, um, but but this one they didn't really give up a whole lot to get a guy in, in Gahara, especially uh, with a ton of upside. And and Burroughs is a guy who who you know I agree with Jim will pitch in the big league. So they they got two potential big league arms, lefties no less, uh, which that we all know are uh, a major commodity uh, for virtually nothing. So to me, they're the clear winners. 
All right, good stuff. And it's nice in mid-January to have uh, a couple of nice trades to break up the monotony a little bit as far as prospects go. This has been a great Pipeline podcast, kind of taking you around the world and around the country. Um, and that'll do it for this edition. For Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis, I'm Tim McMaster. Tune in again next week. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data from Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware. Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.